Welcome to episode number 69 of the Grab Blogger podcast. This is the podcast where helping academics change the world through online business. We're helping you by giving you the tools, the strategies, the tips, the techniques, and the information you need to build an online business around your research experience, around your background, around your expertise, around the change you want to make in the world. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Cloney. In today's episode, we're talking about why and how to rebrand your SciComm website. And we're doing that with notes by Neva.com. And Neva is here with us do the interview today. Neva, thanks for coming on. Hey, my dudes. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm stoked to be here. So Neva has a bachelor's degree in plant genetics. I'm currently a PhD candidate in that field as well. More importantly for this discussion, I was introduced to her from one of my coaching clients. They told me I need to check out her YouTube channel. Um, and I did. And the welcome video was amazing. I was uh, actually riveted and, and kind of glued to my seat watching it. One, because it was amazingly edited. But two is because it's about journaling, which some of the listeners will know is, a, is a, a passion of mine, writing notes and organizing notes and getting stuck into them. So I was really inspired by that. And we ended up getting together, talking about her kind of background, getting online, building her SciComm website and, and building her website, Notes by Neba. And I was really inspired by her drive. I was really inspired by her story. And she talked about this whole process of starting a website, not really liking how it was, and she, I'll let her get into this, but how how it was set up and how it was representing her and wanting to actually change that. I get this question quite a bit from people that are starting their websites. They get a month or six months or a year in and they want to do a big rebrand, but they're kind of scared to do it. So I want to get Neva on to talk through that. So again, this is Neva and her website is notes by Neva, N-I-B-A. That's how you spell her name, dot com. So we're going to go through how she gets started online, what led to her wanting to rebrand, what were the steps in creating the new brand and what kind of benefits came from this process. Um, as always, you can get a transcript of this podcast episode, a nice PDF download at growlblogger.com slash 69. So Neva, without going any further into the introduction, maybe we'll let you get involved here. When did you get started online and why did you create your website at Notes by Neva? Well, it's been uh, quite a bit of time. I started my science communication first, actually not even on a website. It was actually on just Instagram around like March 2019 or so. I started with Insta just because during my undergrad at UC Davis, I was doing some modeling and some photography to kind of side hustle, help pay for the expenses of college. So I was a lot more familiar with Instagram and a lot more familiar with what kind of things drive click-throughs and that sort of thing. I actually created my website around the time that I was debating doing this rebranding. And it was partially due to structuring my website, coming up with like, you know, these clear statements about what I want to do that helped me with the rebranding. So we can get into that a little later. Yeah. So what you talked about Instagram, but were there any other sort of first things that you did when you, when you get started online? Yeah. So when I started out, I had originally just kind of thought about like, like, why am I even doing this? What is this concept that I want to do? How am I going to do it? Who am I talking to? Some pretty basic concepts when you're thinking about like how you want to brand yourself or if any company wants to brand themselves. So I wanted to do something in the realm of science communication. I thought it was absolutely fascinating that there were all these amazing discoveries being done, but at the same time, they weren't quite being made to be a little more like digestible. And I'm a lot more like Gen Z. I'm a lot more casual with it. And the communications that I was seeing was like largely like documentaries and talks and that sort of thing. So I wanted to kind of build my experience using multimedia, like videos, audio, photos, uh, that sort of thing. Because as a younger person, that's kind of more how I consume my content, like 60 second videos here and there. So I spent around, I want to say like three months <laughs> just in the planning stages before I even started. I started out with just an idea dump, like what do I want to talk about? Science, how will I do it? Multimedia, 
who am I talking to? Ideally people younger, ideally people who are outside of science, which is hugely different from people who are within science and doing science communication to them. And this idea dump was massive. Like it just took up so many pages, so many like fronts and backs of notes. And it wasn't even all in like the same journal. I would start writing something. And then five minutes later, I'd be working at my lab bench and think about something else. And I would just jot it down on a note there. And finally, I like kind of collected all the ideas one day, sifted through probably like 17 or 18 pages of paper and picked out what I thought were were the good ones. Like in the initial stages, I was like, oh, I'm going to be really like ambitious and like start a YouTube channel and I'm going to post a video every single day and it's going to be absolutely amazing. And I'll chronicle my whole life as a PhD student. And then when I started like looking into what that would really take, I was like, okay, maybe this is a little much. We're going to focus on what we can do for now and build up some experience before jumping into something really huge. So kind of picking out like what I could do at the moment was really helpful from that idea dump. I think when you're starting out, it's really easy to kind of get caught up in like all the things that could be happening, you could do, especially when you like look at other people for inspiration or you look at the ways in which they're telling their stories and you find that really cool and you want to do that too. But that's where it's like hard to find your own voice. Cause if you haven't practiced finding your own voice and you're trying to figure out how to do that voice, it's, there's so many, there's like a cacophony of sounds of like, of stories of just how you can say that. So after picking out like what is great, I kind of created like a, like a Gaunt chart, which is basically a way of mapping out with time, how long a project will take. One thing that I was sure of in all of this experience was the name really, uh, in branding, it's pretty important to have a name that's like you know, easy, catchy, et cetera. It's great to put your literal name on something. You'll see a lot of science communicators, just like first name, last name. And my last name is like not part of the Roman language. It's a little hard to pronounce. And, but at the same time, I really liked my first name. It's actually the first two letters of my parents' names combined, Ni, Ba. So I kind of wanted to keep that first name in there, but I didn't want to like marry myself to any specific science topic. You know, like if I wrote down biology or plants, then you're kind of married to that idea within the brand name itself. So that's where I came up with kind of an alliteration of notes, because as someone who journals quite a bit, and that's where all my ideas had started and been born of, I thought that would be a pretty good kind of representation. And when someone thinks of notes, hopefully they think of like, you know, like ideas and jotting things down or learning something or having new concepts come to you. So that was a a pretty huge priority because I knew that whatever name I started out with, if I wanted to change it, which is totally possible, it would just be really difficult later on down the line. Yeah, I love it. And I kind of, I think I have maybe three or four different sort of categories to kind of walk down. I want to go back to a sort of critical thing you said at the start about identifying why you're doing it, identifying who you're 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 communicating for and then also how to do it you mentioned so why you talked about wanting to share the science communication who you talked about non-scientists which is an interesting way to do it it's, it's interesting to actually pick that some people wouldn't be necessarily brave enough to say okay i'm gonna talk to non-scientists a lot of people say oh, i'm gonna talk to everyone so it's good to see that narrowing of focus and then the how part is one i want to dive into do you have any ideas or thoughts around this deciding how to communicate with this audience that you you've uh, developed? Sure. Um, I think it depends a lot on, so it depends on audience to audience, but I find it really useful to look at examples of places that are already communicating to that target audience. And these examples very specifically need to be outside of your realm because you don't want to be copying someone else's idea. I see that way too often on social media and in this realm of 
stuff, you can only get so far copying ideas and it doesn't really look great for people who've been in the space for a while. So I looked at people who were communicating concepts like death, funerals, marbles, uh, glasses, animal science, uh, animals, if they were fighting against each other, who would win dinosaurs, where different dinosaurs came from, what would dinosaurs look like if they were birds. These were all concepts that I thought were really cool and really scientifically interesting, but at the same time were not quite the type of science that I knew I would be talking about. I also looked kind of outside of the realm of science. You know, what do people who do, I don't know, like really intense knitting or talking about books to a very specific book audience, what do they look like? Since I was interested in going into kind of this multimedia route of like photos, videos, my two main platforms were going to be YouTube and Instagram. YouTube has a really awesome free tool that's been added to it. It's not part of YouTube, but it's called TubeBuddy. And in it, you can kind of see all these metrics and analyses of people who are already performing like really, really well. So you can see how many people have seen them, the videos, how many, what type of the demographics they are, what tags they use. And by kind of seeing what their analytics are and just getting a sense of what their style is and where these overlaps are between whether you're looking at like science, beauty, woodworking, whatever, what are that, what is the overlap really that the audience has in common? Some audiences really prefer being spoken to like from a professional way, but uh, that's not quite like my style. I like to throw in like, you know, some jokes, um, you know, if I happen to swear, you know, whatever, it's just part of the language. And um, I think that's something that can really be found by looking at this intersection. Yeah, I love that. And I put a big star here. It's, you're talking a bit about translating from one domain to another, which I think is of, of critical importance. And it might even been the last episode of the podcast that I one of the guests got it out of me that when I first started blogging, I was actually attending these blogging conferences here in Nova Scotia in, in Canada, but they were hosted by the East Coast Moms Media Group. <laughs> so literally, I was not only was I not the only person who wasn't a mom there, <laughs> but I, I, uh, I was also probably the only person that wasn't had the ability to be a mom. <laughs> but I was going because I was learning a lot about online marketing, about advertising, about charging, about all these different aspects and then applying it to my niche, which was industrial safety and dust explosions and building my website and blog out and building out my online business. And that was the early days. It wasn't about inventing some new fangled way to attack the, the problem of building an online business. It's about, okay, how can I take the best that I can see from these different realms and bring it in and sort of collect those best practices up? So I took them from entrepreneurship. I took them from literally mommy blogging and and i mean that in the nice way possible because it was the east coast moms blogging group which are also traveler bloggers and and do dyis and lots of other folks as well well i mean mom blogging is honestly like an amazing successful method of blogging you know you have this huge market of people who are interested in being online they have access to the internet pretty often like it makes a lot of sense how they grew and just looking at the ways in which they've grown their audience like there, I, I think that like being a housewife, honestly, is just, it's so much work, but people who get into like mom blogging, they've really like kind of leveraged the fact that they're able to stay at home all the time. They're able to kind of be a little more flexible with their hours because they have to be. It's really quite impressive. Like every single person who runs those things, I'm like, just so amazed. You're doing so much housework. You're doing so much childcare. You're also doing all this branding, marketing partnerships on top of it. I don't know. There's this weird culture, like almost sometimes looking down upon my mommy bloggers because there's so many of them. And there's just, I don't know, sometimes I think 
humanity just has this weird, this, there's weird ways in which sexism just comes out. And I think this is one of them, you know, like, oh, they're just a mom, like running a blog, whatever. But, you know, anyone who's got a successful blog can tell you it takes work. It takes time. It takes practice. I have nothing but respect for those people. And, you know, I'm sure you learned so much from these conferences and it's definitely showing now that you're, you've got so much in your content and your websites and the podcast now. Well, and I'll, I'll flip it on its head. Um, their ability to move an audience to action, a small, like uh, sometimes a large audience, but their ability to move a niche and audience to action is what I need to do in order to save lives and in industrial safety. So I need to be able to engage. I need to be able to connect. I need to be able to educate. I need to be able to move to action or else I won't make safer facilities at the end of the day. So it's, it's the same thing. And it's really mirroring, you know, the great work that they're doing in their sites and instead of discounting it automatically through the, um, you know, prejudice and systematic biases that are, that are there in society, which um, I'm also swimming in and part of as well, I'm sure. Uh, but, you know, seeing, okay, well, is there something good we can take away from here? Uh, well, actually knowing there's something good, but then also being willing to dig into it. Um, and that's, I mean, that's how I started my, my business. Now we're, we're a couple of business divisions removed from that. We have whole different platforms and stuff building on our websites, but you know, it, it was interesting to see that as a starting point. I want to kind of bring it back into the sort of rebranding aspect. And you mentioned, you mentioned kind of a key statement here that I thought was interesting. You said that, you know, some of these websites are very professional and, you know, you got your dress shirt on and, and whatever, but that really wasn't you that you like to be funny and, and maybe swear occasionally. And maybe you might make us change the rating on this podcast by the end of it. We'll see. Um, but it, so what did that mean when you got started then? Did you find yourself, you know, starting your website in a way that was four different people kind of on that road or you know, sort of walk us down that? Cause I know we talked about it offline before. Yeah. Well, I kind of realized that I was doing something like way too broad. I was just talking about science communication in general and my experience as a scientist. And when you start off doing something, you, you know, look at a couple people for inspiration, but as you do it more and more, you start getting more involved with the community and learning more about other people who are doing it and learning about like, you know, what's already out there, what kind of niche is there to be filled? Um, especially like, you know, once you're at that stage of like actually producing content, cause then you get people coming in and like showing you new things. So, uh, there's nothing that compares to that, but I realized it just didn't, I don't know. It was just sort of like too general. It was too professional. I was taking a lot of like photos in the laboratory and that was just, that was just not my vibe. I really liked like, you know, I like photos that are a little more colorful photos that are a little more aesthetically pleasing. Like my like experience modeling is really showing here, but I, I wanted it to be pretty. And you know, what beauty means to different people is different, but I wanted it to be beautiful from a visual standpoint. I wanted it to be beautiful in an inclusive standpoint. I realized that a lot of the work that I was doing was not including a lot of aspects about like race, diversity, equity, accessibility. I've been working in the diversity space literally since 2013. And like a couple months after I started that initial like March, like, you know, science thing, I was just like, God, this is so white. Like all the photos are so white. It's just me. It's just me. And like, yeah, exactly. It was so freaking boring. And like, I was just like over it, you know, I was like, this is making me burnt out. Like none of the photos are very colorful. There's other people doing this. And I'm just like over it, you know, like how am I supposed to be talking about all these issues and like race and equity and blah, 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 without talking about my own experiences and talking about like, you know, things in my culture that are really colorful. And anyway, TLDR, um, there's a lot of people doing that sort of general communication of science, but I wanted to take it out of the lab and shift into things that I cared about that would be a little more for me so that I could keep kind of like this 
I didn't want to like burn out. I could feel myself doing that with like things I just didn't really like feel very passionately for. So I shifted it more into like beauty and fashion and skincare. Like what does beauty really mean to you? What does inclusive beauty really mean? What are brands that are being inclusive? How are they doing this? What is the science behind beauty? Why is a symmetrical face shape seen as pretty, but some faces are not symmetrical? Where does that go? I already knew kind of this pivot was going to be a pivot. You know, I had a lot of concerns about not being viewed as like quote professional enough, you know, like what if I start talking about beauty brands that are a little more inclusive and I talk about shade ranges or why like SPF makeup like fades off faster than makeup without SPF. Like these are things that need science, but science has just historically looked down upon these feminine interests, you know, like it's a very white male cis driven place. And, you know, immediately after that, it's a white women (laughs) cis place. Intersectionality is still a concept that's really new for people. And a lot of people are like, oh, well, our department has like a white woman. Our department has a black man. That's not, that's not diverse enough. You know, I thought about like my interests and my experience and I came back to this concept of more diverse, more equitable, more just me and still just kind of like intertwining these interests that I had with science and not being viewed as professional. I was like, you know what? whatever, you know, if this makes me lose out on some like cred or like, I just lose clout because of this, like, you know, whatever, if that's, then that's not the people that I want it from. And at the time I didn't have like a huge amount of uh, brand deals or a huge amount of followers. So I think that like helped a little bit. I had like grown it significantly, but I was kind of like plateauing a little. So I was like, the plateau was partially because I just like was not as interested in making the content. So I was just not as vibed, like like stoked to make it really. But it was ironically like after I decided to do this new design, that things started taking off and I started like winning things and like competitively getting selected for stuff. So um, that was, uh, it was quite the change. And I think a lot of people like, I sort of like made a semi announcement on my um, Instagram and then I like shifted it into my website and the website went from being like very black and white with a couple accent colors to like, here's some color, here's some like drawings that I've done. Here's some of my modeling photos. Let's go. Because that's just, it was just more it. And some people that I had never spoken to sent me messages being like, oh, why are you changing? Like, what is this new change that you're going to make? And I'm like, you never spoke to me before. Why are you suddenly talking now? Well, I guess you'll have to stick around and see if you like it. And if you do, then you can stick around even longer. I love it. So I, I kind of put, I put a start and end and then I want to go in kind of two directions here. So the start, you know, you had a website is from your discussion or your points, too broad, too general race and diversity were featured, um, intersectionality, inclusivity to professional and, and, I think there might be some mindset stuff around this professional because I've heard this this word now used um, in a couple different meetings just in this interview, and I I think there's some interesting things there. Well, professionalism is just a construct, right? Like, who suddenly decided that we have to wear, you know, like Western clothes, and that has to be the professional standard? Like, there's tons of other cultures that have other clothing that's considered professional, and yet magically, because Europe has taken over, you know, like 97% of the planet, suddenly European fashion is considered professional. And I don't know, this this concept of professionalism, like, yeah, there are some things that are professional, but like the majority of them pretty much just seem like social constructs to me. And I would agree wholeheartedly. And the interesting point I think is, is what I want to kind of dive into here, but it is a, it is a construct. Um, and I literally, I, I was running, am running two brands, Grab Blogger and Dust Safety Science. Um, there's a time where I'd wear a dress shirt 
on a call for dust safety science and then throw on my hoodie for, for, a, for a gravel art call after <laughs> because I thought it was you know professional. But it ties back into something very real. So you mentioned some of the fears around it. And you know some of the fears that you had when you did the change was not being professional enough. How are people going to interact and see this? So even though it is a, a social construct, it, there's someone listening to this episode right now going, well, I love to rebrand, but I am afraid of X. I have fears about Y. And you mentioned a couple of these already, not professional enough. You know, people won't like it. The haters might yell out. If you don't mind, can you dive into some of these kind of fear components before we get into some of the, the benefits from doing this rebranding? Yeah, totally. Honestly, it's the I, I opposite of don't mind. I, I very much would like to get into it. I feel like not enough people talk about the like trash that goes on behind the scenes. Like you all, everyone just seems like this final product and just assumes like there was this idea and then it was born and then it just went there. And you know, you see all these like dumb diagrams online of being like, oh, success is not a linear path. But like, I don't know, I think people should talk about the failures just as much, if not more, because there's definitely more of them and normalizing them just, I don't know, makes it more relatable, at least for me. I think one thing that I was really terrified of is I, you know, I am a PhD candidate. I'm at Duke University. It's a pretty prestigious place to be. It's got a lot of people kind of like checking your stuff. And I was just really nervous about like, what if a professor sees this? What if a student sees this? What if someone sees this and this in some way, shape or form negatively impacts my work? And that was huge for me, right? Like that's, that's a career thing. That's like a life thing. And, you know, if I want to do science communication, I just, I had this like pressure that it has to be done the quote right way. And SciComm is like, it's like sort of new, but it's really not like people have been doing this for decades, you know, um, it's undergone like a lot of changes and people are suddenly interested in it now, especially with, you know, the virus and a lot of other ways in which science has really impacted society. But Ultimately, what it was is like I went back to my like original questions back when I was like, you know, thinking about who, what do I want to talk about? Why do I want to talk about it? How am I going to do it? Who am I talking to? And I remembered like the, the reason I wanted to do multimedia sitcoms because I wanted experience talking about science in a way that was that I thought was interesting for myself because I did not find like long form articles to be very easy to read or very easy to digest. You know, I would still read them, I find them cool, but the average person is, I think, Young, the average person of my demographic, I should say, is a lot more interested in like a 15 second video with dynamic text, dynamic graphics scrolling across the screen. And if I wanted to hit, hit, hit those original goals of like, I want to get experience, I want to do it in a way that serves my audience, then it was either going to be keep doing this like weird professional version that I don't like and get burnt out or just like take the plunge and make it different. And, you know, worst case scenario, someone finds it, they don't like it. But, you know, when you compare that to so many other like shitty things that have to happen when you're an intersectional minority, like, you know, I've faced discrimination for my sex. I've faced discrimination for like looking a certain way. I've faced discrimination for my sexual identity, my like gender, like it just goes on and on. And I was like, you know, at the end of the day, like, whatever, I mean, people are going to judge you on things. This may as well be one of the things they're going to judge me on. And like worst case scenario, if it really ends up being like an absolute like trash hellfire or something like that, I can always just close it. You know, like you, you have the option of deleting it. You can't really like take back things you say on the internet, but you can choose to end a venture if you really need to. But like, ultimately, if I wanted to be getting this experience and be tart, like actually reaching my audience, that was going to be what needs to happen. And I don't know, I see a lot of people kind of like 
continuing with like this model that definitely works of like, let's talk about it in this very specific way that everyone has done. And like, it works, but I wonder about like how sustainable it is. I wonder about how burnt out they feel. You get a lot of people who like kind of start off doing sitcom for a little while and then they're like, oh my gosh, this is too much. I want to leave. Same thing happens with a lot of like blogging and stuff. You know, you see people's final product like two, three, four, five years later and you're like, wow, that's so cool. I want to start one. And then you get into like, you know, all of the trash that happens behind the scenes and you're like, whoa, this is a lot more. Never mind. And I realize like really it's just about making sure you're doing something that hits your goals, that's sustainable, that's not gonna like, you know, maybe you'll be one of the people that like suddenly goes viral, but like unless you can go viral consistently, then that's not really helpful. You know, like you could, you could go viral once and just be like, Oh, that one person from that one meme, but like, that doesn't really help you really. And it doesn't really serve, you know, the people that you're trying to serve or the audience that you're trying to reach. Well, and I see it. I mean, from an online business standpoint, I see where somebody creates a one-time product or a one-time course and sells that and, and sells it successfully but then like, that's it. So now you got to do the next one. And then you, you know, you got to do the next one instead of having a longer term vision of how do we, how do we plan this out for something that's going to be sustainable and build it into something that can be self-perpetuating in a way that you can do it over the long term. And, you know, maybe there's some short bursts where you got to work hard, but you're going to, the point I want to bring back to is you're, you're going to be able to do that a lot more if you're one, identifying your goals up front but two, also doing the work in the way you want to do it. So if I was still switching between dress shirts and, and t-shirts every second meeting, you know, I probably might not be running either of my businesses right now. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, gave, I gave up the dress shirt um, and, and no one cares. So that's good. So you, you, you kind of dug into this fear a bit. And I mean, we all experience a lot of the same things. Call it what you want, call it imposter syndrome, call it, um, you know, fear of, of Failure. Most most people are actually afraid of failure. They're afraid of being criticized of being a failure, um, which is a, a slight change. I think it's really the shame. Ultimately, it comes down to a fear of shame. Like, is someone going to see this and think it's dumb? Worse, is someone in my real life going to see this and think I'm dumb? Is or that it's a bad idea or that it's just incorrect? Like, the fear of shame is really what perpetuates this. And like, that's why I try and be upfront about like, you know, I don't know every single thing I'm doing. I know the parts that I know, and I know that I don't know some other things. And like. Some people try to create this image of like, I know all science, I know everything and I know how to do it. And I feel like that's really where this fear of shame becomes a larger part because you're setting yourself up to be someone who knows everything when that's not true. You know, like I try and explain, like, I, I know where to find things. I know how to learn things. I, but really my strengths are in like talking about it in a way that I find cool. And hopefully my audience does too. And judging on my metrics, since I've been, you know, making insight reports for people, that have like been mentors or investors in my brand, the insight reports have shown that like, since I started talking a little more like how I normally talk, it's, it's a lot better. I love it. So let's, let's dig into this a bit. So we've really, we set the stage now. This is a terrifying proposition to do something that's uncomfortable online in front of everyone. And you're going to be shamed and it's going to feel really terrible and you're probably going to fail and, and burst in flames. Did that happen to you? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, totally. So like the past couple weeks, I would say like the past seven weeks, I've been doing a lot of like informal interviews with people and like just reaching out to stuff. And like the number of people who have suddenly decided to like look at my channel is just like skyrocketed. And there's all these people looking at it that I would hope would never look at it. And because I was worried that they might think it's too unprofessional. I can't name them, but there's a really large foundation that does a lot of like science communication grant 
funding basically. And I was talking to them and the dude like mentioned in our call that he had looked at my channel and I was like, holy shit. Like, Oh my God. He looked at a video that like within the first 15 seconds had like some sort of sex joke. And I was just like, this is going to be so awkward. He's going to think I'm just some like young idiot who like doesn't know what they're doing. And it was actually the opposite. Like he was like, whoa, this is very unique. This is, I like that you are so casual with your viewers. I like that you're so like comfortable in front of the camera. And I was just internally in my head, I was just like, it took so long to get there. Like, I'm so glad he said that, but yeah, absolutely. I crashed and burned pretty hard. My first ever video was the most painful thing ever. I recorded it, looked back at the footage and was like, wow, I sound absolutely ridiculous. Like this does not sound like me. I look so awkward and coming from like a modeling background, we are taught to kind of like get a single image, you know, like get, make it look good for one split second. Cause that's all you need. And that's like all that it takes. And a video adds this whole other dimension, you know, like it's exponentially increased in terms of sound movement, like visuals. And it was just so awkward. Like my training did not at all translate. And I really was hoping it would, but that was a fail. So I, I, I looked at it and I was like, I'm going to re-record this. This is absolute trash. And then I thought about like every single piece of advice that I had seen online was just like, don't do it. You need to push through. You need to power through. If you keep like reiterating on that first step, then you're never going to get to the second step and the third and the final step. And you'll never have practice with those ones. You're just going to be in this perpetual loop of refining the first one. And so I was like, all right, whatever. We're just going to force myself to learn this editing. It took me six weeks to edit nine minutes. Can I just six weeks? I worked on it every single day for like four, five, six hours a day, six weeks. Okay. Like that was freaking ridiculous. I did. I had no idea how much goes into video production. And I was being like, you know, I still was like learning all these keyboard commands, learning all these keystrokes. I was just like, this is going to just take this long forever. Like this is ridiculous. And by the end of it, I like, there was just like this huge exponential learning curve. And by the end of it, I was like, oh, this is much faster. It was still painful to like, look at the footage and be editing it. But I was like, at least like, you know, now at least the editing is getting a little better. So I went from like six weeks for the first video. And now it takes me about like, I want to say like 20 hours for a 10 minute video. My video edits have like a lot of edits. There's a lot of dynamic graphics. There's a lot of text. There's a lot of jump cuts. And that all just takes like a lot of time. And, but that's like a huge decrease, you know, like it took me upwards of like a hundred, 150 hours or something like that for that first video to get that down to 20 just took so much time. And it was painful. There were people commenting like, are you okay? Are you doing all right there? People like privately messaging me like, Hey, is your video like done? Like I saw your published version, but it like, doesn't look done. You look kind of like awkward. And like internally, I was just screaming. I was like, this was so painful. This was so embarrassing. But I was like, okay, if I managed to like get through editing and I managed to get through it, like, you know, faster by the end of it, then maybe it'll be better the next time. And it was, it really was. But like <laughs> the, the shame in that first part is just, it's hard to get over, but there's, there's just no other way around it. So I, I love that discussion. I don't, it, it wasn't quite what I was asking about, but I think it's important to, you said it, I mean, it's like a couple things. You're going to be very self-critical when you're doing this sort of thing. You you spend a lot more time on your video editing than I I ever did or would, <laughs> um, but so that was hard. We'll just call that hard work. It's the the hard work of learning something new, and the hard work of shipping, the hard work of putting yourself out there. What I I really meant was on you came more the fear of doing it, then you did the action. You know, has it been 
bad since then or have there been benefits of putting yourself out there and changing your brand and and doing your videos in a new style what kind of benefits have come out of that i know we were talking about a couple beforehand but did you know did people call you dumb or where how did that go (laughs) well i'll start with like you know you get stuff wrong and it's embarrassing sorry i got your question wrong that was embarrassing um but i mean no i think it's important to share because somebody's feeling that right now (laughs) but i want to show the juxtaposition of well, I'll let you go into it. what, how, how have things changed since you decided to actually be you instead of some other vanilla person? Yeah, totally. Um, I would say just, oh my gosh, so much better. I had been continually applying to like different fellowships, different internships, different like scholarships to kind of like supplement my funding or supplement my like branding and my company. I don't want to call it a company because it's not really a company, but just really the the brand. And you know, before I did this rebrand, it was like just rejection after rejection. And like, you're going to get a lot of rejections, but it was getting kind of frustrating because I was like, why am I getting like literally nothing? Like it seems wild. But after this rebranding, I managed to get a fellowship through the STEM Advocacy Institute at Harvard. And I also got a scholarship from the Yale Science Academy. And I was also awarded like a couple like brand partnerships and stuff like that here and there. And that's when I started realizing like, you know, if I'm suddenly like getting things and people are seeing the value in my work, then clearly the rebranding has worked, you know, like for all these like mentors and and investors, um, they started asking about like, well, we need to see like returns. So I started learning how to do like insight reports, how to quantify like metrics and stuff. And so for example, like landing page click-through rates, they've increased like quite significantly. And I've started collaborating with a lot more people independently, like building my brand, like from the ground up has really helped with, I would say, giving me experience in assessing community needs and working creatively, even under pressure and then developing ways to measure this growth. And you can measure that growth through like, you know, how much stuff you're putting out, how well people are responding to it, how many fellowships and stuff you're getting. And that was the moment that I was like, okay, this is working. And, you know, as I'm like kind of talking to a lot of people and stuff now, suddenly people that I never imagined would look at my channel are looking at it. And I'm like, Oh God, this is so like, it's a little nerve wracking. Cause I'm like, Oh my gosh, I've been like following their work for like, you know, two, three, four, five years. I've been thinking they're so cool. And then like, you know, too cool. And like for these conversations, I'll get like, you know, I'll try to be like as professional as possible. And like, if they want to break the professionalism and like, let us be a little more casual, it'll happen. And like, when they look at my stuff and they're actually valuing it, you know, like that's when I'm like, Oh, okay, cool. You know, these are places that I've looked up to for years. And if even they can see the value in this type of communication, that's like a, re-emphasis like that this is the way this is the 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 move yeah i love it and we're scheduled in for another podcast interview where we're going to talk more about this whole funding opportunities for science communication websites we'll probably go into this sort of thing around brand deals and how to grow your business that way um i do call it a business um you're allowed to call it a business too same as you're allowed to be unprofessional but we'll we'll maybe get into that as, as well but maybe a good place to to maybe even tease the audience for that is you mentioned the brand deals before. Can you just kind of give the, the Coles note version of, of how that looks and, and people can tune to the next uh, episode to get more on that information as well. But what, you know, where do these brand deals and funding opportunities come from? Do you just have a short, a short description of that? Sure. Um, I would say it is in the beginning, very careful planned action. And later on people will find you like, as you get like bigger, that's that means when I say short planned like and very carefully planned out I mean people who you can look for opportunities but you can also be strategic in the content that you create and 
try and create content that has this kind of space or like niche in it for a brand to partner with you or amplify your message. So we'll get into all the strategies and stuff a little later, as Chris says. Yeah, I love it. So, okay, we had a website. Um, we started it. Step one, you know, get started online. It's it's hard to do and you may go the wrong path at first. But that's all right. As Nevis shown, and my first website was my dustexplosionresearch.com, which is a terrible blog name. <laughs> um, <laughs> now it's Dust Safety Science and uh, we have Dust Safety Academy and Dust Safety uh professionals and partners.com as well. Uh, so we have a whole bunch of brands across that whole side, but I started with literally the worst name I can think of my dust explosion research.com. And now it's my, you know, my full-time business. We have a team of a couple of people from really across the world that are involved with that. So get started. Step one, if you don't like where you're at, if it's too, not you, whatever that is, if it's too vanilla, if it's not on the right topics, if it's just doesn't feel comfortable, you can and should change it. And I hope that w- what Neva's been going through has helped illustrate some of that around some of the fear it's going to come up, around some of the benefits that would you know, come over. You're, you're willing to, as, as Seth Godin would say, leap first and actually make that jump. I think a good place to kind of lead off on for the, the listener. So I'm hoping they're ramped up, they're ready to take action, they're ready to be more themselves in their content, be more themselves in their website look at how to design their work in a way that more resonates with their audience. What's how, how should they be going about just organizing this? And you, you, I'm going to bring it all the way back to the very start to your, your journaling habit, but you mentioned what I call a capture sort do. You didn't mention those words, but capture all your ideas, sort them, and then actually pick the ones and do them. And that was one way that you came up with the new kind of designs and stuff for branding. But can you just kind of walk people through if they're, okay, they're sold, they want to rebrand, they want to change what they're doing. Just how would they go about doing that? What process should they follow to look at rebranding the website to be more authentic to them? I think it's a, it's a tough process really, because you're undoing in a way, like all this work that you've already done, but understanding, like starting at the very beginning, you know, like, why are you doing this rebranding? Is it because you need to get a better target audience? Is it because you want the style to change? Is it because you want it to be like updated, like even just like more sleek design wise, that'll help kind of fuel what kind of rebranding needs to happen really. So for example, if it's target audience, you know, going back to what are these, those other domains of like, what are these other people doing that reaches the target audience? Where is that missing in my own content and how can I bring it there? Going back to like the very basics, I think is really essential for rebranding, but this time with that added benefit of like, you have this experience and you have these metrics from like the previous like version that you've gotten and how that did not work. So you can like actively avoid those sections, but you can also like take what did work from those sections. And that's kind of the the cool part too. Another thing is with rebranding, you don't want to, you don't want to do like an entire like 180 pivot. Cause if you're doing like a 180 pivot, you may as well just do like a whole new thing, you know, like you may as well just close that like company, so to say, and then just like open a new one. If you're pivoting or if you're like pivoting a little bit or like actually rebranding, that's, uh, you know, different. You can change your design, change your content, et cetera. And I think it's you know, those words you used of like, what, what was it? Capture, sort, create, capture, sort, do. I like that. I like that a lot. Capture, sort, do uh, all over again. But this time, you know, with this added information of what exactly you're doing this rebranding for and how the ways that you did it before did not work. That is a huge amount of information. You know, like every single failure is so much information. And I think people 
like there's just, I don't know, there's just some shame around it. There's so much shame around failure. And you don't, because of that, you don't really see how much value there is in it. You know, like, you know, talking about something in this specific way was not helpful or like phrasing a question and then leaving like an answer box as opposed to a poll that did not have a lot of engagement. Those are like little tiny key things. But, you know, if you're rebranding, it's those tiny key things that make it a rebrand and not like, you know, an entirely new company. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think that's a great way to do it. I I always follow the same system. Actually, most of the systems in my business are revolve around the same capture, sort, do mentality. Um, if I have an idea, I email myself. It ends up in a, in a I won't actually give the email, but dot .organizational um, at Gmail email account. Um, every day I clear that out to zero and I sort them into bins. Some bins I never look at again because they just weren't good ideas. Um, some I trash, but a lot of them make it through if I do the same thing, if I were to rebrand right now, it would be okay. Well, I'm going to spend a week and every time I think about it, jot that down on a notepad or put that into a, a G sheet. Um, just capture all those ideas or sit down and do two half an hour forced brainstorming sessions. Um, and your brain's probably smoking by the, by, the, uh, by the second half of the second session. That's where you get your good stuff. So capture it right down. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Even those like trashed ideas. I feel like sometimes you'll come up with ideas and immediately be like, all right, I need to discount that. That's going to be way too much work. But, um, I, I like to sort them also into like, you know, stuff to do stuff not to do, but I, I don't actually delete them. I'll like throw them into a pile of like stuff that does not currently work because it does not currently work. Maybe it's something that's a little more long-term. Maybe it's something that doesn't align with the brand, but like when you come up with an idea and it doesn't work for, you know, X, Y, Z's reason, like knowing what that reason is that the idea doesn't work will help you sort through the other ideas, you know, like if it's because you need to have access to some equipment, you know, like that'll be the reason that that does not work. And that reason can be applied to the other ideas. And when you're doing your sorting, you know, not all ideas need to be done. You know, some of them can be short-term, some of them can be long-term, some of them can be something that's just vaguely in the back burner. Creating like a, what is it called? There's like a, a quad priority versus a time chart that you can create. Oh, the Eisenhower matrix. Yeah, there we go. Um, thank you. Uh, a lot of startups love to use the Eisenhower matrix because then you can really sort your ideas and then just focus on the ones that are high priority and immediately need to be done time-wise. Yeah, you really, I mean, you should only be evaluating your ideas on a 12-week basis. I mean, that's what I do. And then if something new comes up in the middle, it's like, okay, well, you know, that's great. I'm going to set aside here and we'll reevaluate at the time we're supposed to reevaluate things. Right now we're doing, we've already captured ideas. We already sorted. We have a plan. Let's execute the plan. And then at the end of this term, we'll come back and look at it. And your point on, on not throwing anything away is, is really critical. And I, I think of it, that's how I used to, before I could write well in terms of journal papers and technical papers, I used to have like a lot of, uh, you know, difficulty getting through the blank page syndrome. I, I learned a technique that was just just right and then never delete a paragraph. So if you don't like it, write another paragraph. If you don't like it, write another paragraph. And you think like the first two are junk, but turns out once you write one that you actually like, and it's like, oh, well, this is a great second paragraph. And then this half of this one fits with this half of this one. You have another third paragraph. And it's that those ideas are just in the wrong order when, you, when your brain's spitting them out. So you just capture them, then you sort them, then you decide and do and, and don't let anything else get in the way while you're trying to do that. So that, that'd be my recommendation for how to do new branding. Brainstorm it, capture all the ideas you have, sort them into the piles that are important for you, and then do it at the end of the day. And then don't look back once you get started. 
So Neva, I think this is a great place to leave off for this interview. We covered a lot around this why and how to rebrand your, your science communication website. Um, we're going to have you back on the podcast in the next episode to talk more around these sort of brand deals on these fellowship opportunities on different ways to monetize your website from that angle. And we'll also talk about what's coming down the tracks next for you there as well. Um, so we'll have to, we'll leave the audience hanging for this, this week ahead, unless you're listening in the future, in which case just press next. But before that, if somebody's really listening to this and wants to learn more about your work now, um, where's the best spot for them to go to connect with you and learn more? Uh, I would say I'm on pretty much every single social media site as Notes by Neva. I'm on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, about TikTok. I'm going to be releasing a YouTube video soon about my thoughts on TikTok, but I am currently not on TikTok. Who knows if that'll change? But I would say primarily just go through my website, my Instagram are the best ways to reach me. I love it. And that's Notes by Neva, N-I-B-A dot com. And I believe you'll need dot org as well, but uh, people can go to the dot com and, and get to it there. So thanks again, Neva. Um, I look forward to getting you back on the podcast for the next episode um, that the listeners can tune into next week. Thank you so much, Chris, for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. I'm stoked to even be on this. Awesome. Well, we'll talk soon. So you've been listening to myself, Dr. Chris Cloney and Neva from Notes by Neva. That's N-I-B-A dot com. We're talking about why and how to rebrand your science communication website. As I sort of mentioned the outset of the show, I was really drawn to, to Neva's YouTube channel. Um, then we we had some discussions um, based on a, a referral from a, a coaching client of mine. And I was pretty inspired by her story. She's very energetic. She's very opinionated. And she's not afraid to actually share those opinions. And I loved it because it's people like that can really facilitate change in, in industries, change in the way that people are looking at uh, how us as academics and as scientists can, can have influence in the world. So I think it's a really important message to get out there. Um, in this episode, we covered through, we started with, some brand fundamentals, we'll call them. Why are you doing it? Who are your, your audience? Who are you doing it for? And you know how? Choosing your channels, choosing your, your media methods. If you're doing video, if you're doing blog writing, if you're doing audio podcasts like this one. We talked about translating and, and I'll say stealing, but really taking information from other industries, from other fields, from other areas and, and consolidating them into the best practice for you. It's a really great way to get going a lot faster than trying to re-engineer the wheel every time. We talked about where Neva got started from with her website. I think the the end synopsis was it was too professional and professional in their quotes because I think it, it we encompassed a lot of a professional. But at the end of the day, really focused more on her and things that she likes and the change she wants to see in the world. We talked about a lot of fears then closing that gap. Are people going to think I'm dumb? I used to think this all the time in my head. Uh, maybe even out loud. I probably told my wife, people are going to think I'm dumb for doing this like a dozen times in the first year, but it turned out that nobody did. And, and the same with uh, with Neva's story. We went on and talked about the difficulty of getting started with video creation. The types of videos that Neva does are are phenomenal. There's layers of sound. There's layers of videos. There's terms I don't even know: undercutting, overcutting, all kinds of stuff going on that uh, that I don't do or don't know how to do. I guess. But the big part is nobody, I think, called her dumb afterwards. At the end of the day, there were a ton of benefits from this. It increased her exposure, increased her connections, increased the opportunities she has. And we're going to get into these in the, in the next podcast episode next week. But people that she didn't want to watch or tune in or listen were tuning in saying, this is phenomenal and this is exceptional. And that's a possibility for you too. If you're listening to this, if you're willing to put yourself out there, uh, just you know, read some Seth Godin books and, and that'll probably get you fired up to be able to do it. So I'd recommend that. And then we looked at the end of the episode talking through some of these 
you know, procedural things. Okay, well, I want to do it. How do I go about doing it? We talked about capture, sort, do, brainstorming ideas, really spend some time dedicated, just generating the ideas, then some more time dedicating to sort them. If you split those two activities, you can really tackle, um, well, just about anything that you want to tackle in life, but rebranding your website definitely falls in that category. So with that, we're going to close out this episode. As always, there's a transcript, a nice PDF download. You can get at the show notes at grabblar.com slash 69. Um, we'll have everything we covered in this podcast episode there. You want to connect with Neva. We had her Instagram and Twitter and, and LinkedIn and YouTube links that will all be featured in the show notes there. And that's at notesbyneva.com. Have a great week ahead. and look forward to um, continuing the discussion with Neva next week on the Grab Blogger podcast. Thank you.